The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org. I find this scientifically fascinating. You're listening to KUCI Irvine. Disengage this computer now. Broadcasting at 88.9 FM. Hello, computer. And on the web at KUCI.org. The most reliable computer ever made. And streaming through iTunes. Don't expect any mercy during the Great Robot Wars. Anteater Radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcast in free. Two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to UCI Conversations, a weekly public affairs program dedicated to exploring everything in the land of blue and gold with interviews of UCI leaders, innovators, and last but not least, Zot, 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 everyday anteaters. Hello, everybody. This is UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer. Now, listen closely. My guest today is UCI Medical Center, which is the UCI hospital in the city of Orange. The UCI Medical Center Patient Flow Director, Iman Othman. Yes, Patient Flow Director. Wow, it sounds really interesting. I didn't even know there was one, so we're going to find out a lot about it today. And I also wanted to point out that Iman was a guest presenter for the UCI What Matters to Me and Why speaker series about a year ago, which you can watch anytime by Googling UCI What Matters to Me and Why and clicking on past speakers. I found her very personal presentation to be extraordinary. She was one of the most self-aware and self-actualized people I have ever seen. She was genuine, animated, and had a strong self-confidence. She also had a wonderful sense of humor and an amazing humbleness. So no pressure, Iman. Welcome to UCI Conversations. How are you today? Good. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you. You're very welcome. Why don't we just start with you know, where it all began for you? Where were you born and what did you like to do when you were a kid? I was born in Kuwait in the Middle East and I think the most thing resonates in my head about what I like to do when I was a kid. I love to play in the neighborhood with my friends, yeah. boys and girls, and I was spending hours playing outside. And the other things was also, it really takes hours and hours of my time when I start reading. I loved reading novels and stories, historical stories mostly. So and I still do till now, but I think these are the two things. I love socializing and playing with my peers and then reading. Those are the two things. It always comes to my mind. Wonderful. And did you grow up in the Middle East? Actually, it's different places. I was born in Kuwait and then I moved to Baghdad, Iraq. And then uh, four or five years later, I moved to Jordan, Amman. And that's all related to my father was chair engineer and American embassy in Kuwait and then in Iraq and then in Amman. So we were moving as he is relocating his job. But uh, we end up in Jordan, Amman. Uh, I think I went there and I was in elementary school and I stayed in Amman till I got married and then I moved to US. When did you start getting interested in healthcare and medicine? 
I never thought I'm going to be interested in health industry. Actually, all my high school years, I thought I'm going to be a biology teacher. And I love biology and I loved all these uh, cells and anatomy and I loved the whole thing. And then I got a really good grades in high school and a good GPA. But then my father told me, are you really want to be a teacher or you want to really go and make a difference? And I was like, uh, what kind of difference? And he's like, nursing, nursing is a new thing in the market. You can go and try it. And of course, my sister was right before we also went to nursing and I found that it's fascinating fields and it does have a lot of biology there. So I was like, um, yeah, you know what, why not? And I think it was the best decision my dad helped me to take. I went to American school for nursing and it was an amazing four years. Wonderful. Did you do that in the Middle East and then come to the United States or do a bunch? Yeah, yeah. My bachelor degree, I took it in American University in Amman. Okay, gotcha. Was it difficult to come to the United States when you guys? Uh, no, as a nurse, I think our market is open, so ah. we came very easy as nurses. Uh, you know, nurses has a good market here. Gotcha. And where in the United States, California? California, and I never left. <laughs> Were you a hospital nurse? Is that where you spent most of your career? Um, I was an oncology nurse in Jordan, and I am a certified chemotherapy, radiotherapy, oncology nurse. And then I came to U.S., and I found out that I need to pass the NCLEX, and then do I really need to continue an oncology field? It was a very difficult field and a very sad field, So, and I am a very people-oriented person. So I thought, this is my opportunity to change my direction and uh, not to stay with, within oncology. So I took totally the opposite field and I went and I become labor and delivery nurse. So I got <laughs> trained and I got the opportunity and I become a labor and delivery nurse. But I was for the first 10 years of my, uh, or first, I would say eight years of my career, I was oncology ICU nurse. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of it, I was a labor and delivery nurse and I enjoyed every minute sharing the joy with families and uh, being part of this beautiful story. I made maybe thousands of delivery. I'm a certified midwife also and I made many hundreds of delivery and every delivery is different. The joy is different. The story is different. It's, It's a nice field. It's a very positive field. Yeah. You know, it sounds like you have so many stories. Does one, you know, always percolate to the top? Yes. Specifically in labor and delivery, the one that come always is two stories. Is the first one when I have that couples who've been trying to have babies for more than 17 years. Wow. And they were trying the fertilization and, and then they end up losing multiple pregnancy related to many reasons. And then at the end, she was pregnant and, and she was doing good. And she came and one day and she was pregnant with, I think, 26 weeks or 27. And she came to the ED and they called us down to the emergency. And she was there having early labor, very early labor. It was like six, seven months uh, pregnant. Mm -hmm. And I still remember how her eyes, her tears, her, her husband, the family, they are all devastated because they thought that is the one. And then I think it was an awesome to see the baby coming uh, despite all that. And the baby survived Um, and uh, went to NICU. And then a year later, she came with the baby and she brought me uh, a basket full of cheese and bread and fruit. And uh, she came on a Mother's Day. 
uh, a year after, and uh, yeah. she gave me that gift. I will never forget that. Yeah. It's uh, a miracle, and and she was pregnant naturally also with a second baby. Wow. So wow. yeah, these stories will never. This time story. The other story is a special need mom came pregnant for for a reason, and she came pregnant and. Um, when she had her baby and the baby was very beautiful, but the mom is very limited. And it was tough for me to see this combination, but it was so nice to see that a mother is a mother, uh-huh. despite their um, uh-huh. mentality and their uh, social and uh, economical status, a mother is a mother. She was holding the baby, she was protecting, she started breastfeeding. And then I, that was a turning point for me because it does not need a lot to become a mother. And um, she did everything naturally. And I, at that point, I felt motherhood is, um, is a blessing from God and we should just honor it all the time. Yeah, gotcha. Thank you for those stories. When did you start moving into management? That was a tough decision. So um, in 2007, I decided that I want to go and do my master's degree because I was raised in a family that they appreciate uh, education and, and you need to continue learning and continue to move on. So I thought I should do my master's degree. Specifically, my kids were getting older, so I got the chance to finish. And um, I went to UCLA and in UCLA, uh, I was trying to do my master's degree in nursing. And the first elective class, first quarter was about computer application in a classroom. It was kind of elective. And then I fell in love with the computer and, and mm-hmm. all these things. And the fa- I was fascinated by that. Mm-hmm. So I changed my major from nursing administration to nursing informatics. Wow. So I moved, I took my master's degree and in 18 months with an honor roll. And I was so excited. And I thought that is where I want to be, you know. Yeah, and cool. then I, I think at three, four months after graduation, I got a chance to teach informatic in one of the private universities. And I said, yeah, that was, that's good. You, you need to bring this industry to life, you know, so you need to bring a new generation to it. So I quit my uh, bedside and I went that direction to teach uh, yeah. informatic and to be in that field. And then 18 months later, I found that that's not me. Yeah. And I am, I, I don't find myself. Yeah. I, do, do you have any sense of like, cause in your presentation, what matters to me and why, you know, you said that it's like, Oh yeah, that wasn't me. And you seem like you'd be a wonderful teacher. I, I, um, I know a lot of people said that to me. It's like, <laughs> you're presenting really well. Why you yeah. stopped? And yeah. I was like, it's not me. Yeah. And I didn't feel myself. And then I was like, um, I'm not making a difference. I, I was a nurse for a reason. I want to be closer to a fragile people who needs help. Uh-huh. And I, I did not see this anymore. So I felt like it's not me. Uh-huh. So I got the opportunities to move to administration through an offer in a very needed community, which is San Francis Hospital in Los Angeles uh-huh. in Linwood area, which is it's a very low community with the resources with everything and it was an awesome opportunities and it is a faith-based facility so it took everything I want it's a faith-based facility and a community that need that service so I just went with a full passion there Mm -hmm. and it was the best five years of my career 
uh, yes, I was administrative, but I knew it. This is this is where I want to be. This is where I want to make a difference. I want to standardize the practice. I want to give the tools and, and the ability to give the nurses everything they can do to make a difference in people's lives in their most fragile moment as patients. And I was able in five years of a hospital being more than 30, 40 years in the community and never be able to get it. But in my five years, I was able to bring the first comprehensive stroke certification to this hospital to become a stroke center. Mm-hmm. And then uh, eight months later, I was able to bring uh, uh, this facility to become a STEMI facility to accept all these heart attack patients. And then I was part of their uh, uh, trauma certification in this five years. It was an awesome five years of my life. Not only I was able to improve the services that this facility is given to this community, I was able to be part of the community. I was teaching uh, science and math after hours for students who are unable to get tutor uh, mm-hmm. in a church that is uh, you know, part of the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I was able to be part of a committee that prepare girls and boys for the brom every summer and spring. Mm-hmm. So we were donating dresses and uh, people come and to do the makeup and the hair for the girls. So we were given dresses and shoes and we prepare the ladies and the gentlemen to go to their first prom in their life uh, Mm -hmm. for a very low community resources. And it was so awesome. Also in Thanksgiving, I was part of the committee to prepare baskets for uh, those people who are unable to have um, a Thanksgiving dinner. And I did it for five years with the, with that hospital. It was such a rewarding experience. It's one of the best hospital I worked in. It's uh, It was a rewarding experience. Wow. Wow. Great, great story. Hang on for just a, a moment, Iman, while I update our audience. You're listening to UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer, and my guest today is UCI Medical Center Patient Flow Director, Iman Othman. She's a key member of the management staff at UCI Medical Center, and we're just getting to hear about many details of her career leading up to coming to UCI. So, Iman, did you come to UCI after that job or? No, actually, <laughs> that hospital was for sale. And uh, because they got all these certifications, so they become a valuable, valuable hospital. So they were sold for another company that they were not faith-based. So I felt like I'm losing the purpose of me being there. So I, I start looking around in the same committee, how can I help? And at that time, that was uh, Martin Luther King, a new hospital they want to open. And I was employee number six being hired to open that new hospital from scratch for that community. And it was just one mile away from that hospital. Mm-hmm. So I worked in Martin Luther King with the county, LA County, and with UCLA to open a new hospital from scratch to a very needed community. And uh, it was an amazing experience. Do you know that people like me in nursing, you will not always have the opportunity to open a hospital from scratch. I went to that hospital when it was only walls. Mm -hmm. And I opened it with zero findings to receive the first patients. Mm -hmm. And I got uh, um, a recognition from the county, a recognition from the Joint Commission, because they said, this is the first hospital is open without any findings. It was an awesome service. And from that success, UCI found me. Mm. And they start asking how I can move here. 
and uh, they give me an opportunity and I said, um, why not? Um, <laughs> I'll go to the next, uh, you know, um, chapter and I came to UCI gotcha. five years ago. And was it in this, your current position of patient flow director? Or? No, no. I came as a manager, staffing manager, and I grew up through the five oh. years to become a patient flow director. Gotcha. You know, I don't think most people, including myself, are familiar with patient flow director. You know, you, you kind of start to think about it. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. But why don't we hear from you? What is the position? So it is a new position. It's been in the market for the last maybe, I would say, six, seven years. And the idea of the position that uh, this director is responsible for the inpatient operation, meaning one of my major responsibilities is to manage the patient from the time of admission till the time they go home. So I need to see that they have effective, smooth journey from admission till discharge and making sure I am given the tools, removing the barriers, making they have the best experience, uh, making sure I am placing the patient on the right time, right location, and discharging him on the right time, clinically ready. So that is patient flow. I am responsible about bid placement and the patient journey from A to Z within the inpatient setting. So when you took the position, where were we and where are we now? Big difference. I was responsible for 90 employees, and now I have uh, more than 650 employees. Wow. So, yeah, I grew up three years. I think I have a great leadership in UCI, believed in me, believed in my potentials, and gave me opportunities to grow. This is very important that you have leadership, see your potential, and be able to let you grow. And that's what I do with the people with me. I always believe in people who have the potential so they can grow too. Growing in your career is a motivation for the people who deserve it. What is a, a typical week like for you or a typical day? Is it meetings, 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 or no day is alike? No, I mean, <laughs> it's busy. I will say, I want to explain before COVID and after COVID. A lot of people are doing this now. Before COVID, I, uh, mine is mostly... Um, I would say maybe 50% meetings and 50% I am on the ground um, trying to find out opportunities for improvement, uh, rounding, uh, talking, uh, doing, um, trying to, to shadow people to understand the flow so I can improve the flow and find out where's the opportunities. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of hands-on and meetings at the same time. And I am, because of my informatic background, I am a very data-driven person. So there's some of my time also analyzing data and find out where is our opportunities. That was before COVID. After COVID, mostly my responsibility is to keep the inpatient safe. Uh, specifically, we are having a very infectious disease, which is COVID. So we are partnering with a lot of people like infection control and physicians and case managers and nursing to make sure our patients are safe and placed in the right place. So uh, we did a lot of alterations. We opened a lot of new areas because we were receiving patients beyond our capacity, but we could not refuse anybody because everybody deserved the care. Mm -hmm. So it was tough year for us, but in general, I think we are going back to where we should be, hopefully after the vaccination that I should be between meetings and being a hands-on leader. Gotcha. Have you been involved with the, is it a military field hospital? Is that what you would call it? The enlarged capacity for the hospital? 
Yeah, we did open 36% more beds in this extra spaces. And one of these extra spaces was the mobile field hospital that the county gave us. So uh, we had um, a, a huge tent, a very advanced tent, because people, when they hear tenders, like, what? But it yeah. is actually a mobile hospital. It's like an, a military open mobile hospital that it has 40 beds. And when you enter it, actually, you cannot tell. It's a huge area with advanced equipment and tools and electricity and oxygen and everything. All the tools are there to accept patients from all levels, and uh, it's very safe. But to open such an area in a very short time uh, was one of the things I enjoyed because I enjoy challenges and I enjoy this new experience. But it was an awesome time. Got you. You know, I think many listeners don't even have a sense of, everybody has driven by the UCI Medical Center, but can you just give us a brief description of what the normal hospital is? Like, is it eight floors or 10 floors? A background. Okay. Uh So we have two buildings, two major buildings. We call one the tower and the other one, we call it Douglas Hospital, but they are both beside each other in one area. The tower is mostly accepting medicine and it's a combination of three floors of a total of 72 um, medicine beds and also they have the emergency that had 84 bays there and then the Douglas hospital is having another 120 191 beds where it is a combination of a different service line of ortho cardio neuro burn uh, trauma we have a lot of service line Uh, by the way just to let you know um, UCI, as everybody knows, is the only trauma level one in, in Orange County, and it's the only burn center in, uh, as a level one burn center, and a stroke center, and a STEMI center. And above that, UCI do 127 procedures slash surgery that no other hospitals in Orange County or Southern California do it. We wow. are the only hospital doing it. And we are so under-marketing ourselves. UCI has top-notch physicians who do procedures and surgeries that nobody in Southern California do it than us. I actually was just talking to a friend of mine who is dealing with cancer right now. And he had all his surgeries done at the UCI Medical Center, but he's been to a few other hospitals in the last year or so. And he just couldn't speak more highly about the UCI Medical Center. He says, absolutely beautiful, top professional facility. So how are we doing with COVID? Are we coming out of that winter break surge? Hopefully. (laughs) Yeah. Can you give us... It was tough surge. Uh, we were impacted big time. And um, uh, between uh, December and January, we were really impacted. Well, we opened, as I said, 36% more beds. Uh, thank God we were safe. We did not have any complication. And we are the lowest with, with mortality between all the Orange County hospitals because we really put a lot of care and, uh, and focus on our patients. I think we are into this going down. and uh, But uh, all the county and the county, I mean, the CDBH, which is the Department of Health, they're expecting another surge, maybe because related to vaccination and, and people, they're going to drop the, the guard after the vaccination, thinking that the vaccination is the answer. Mm-hmm. And also we have the Super Bowl and we're going to have a couple of holidays. The infection control people thinking that we may have another surge, but it's not going to be as acute as the second one. So hopefully we will not, and people will not drop the guard and will keep a protection and keep the mask. We open the business back also uh, outside in the neighborhood. So hopefully people will not drop it just because they think the surge is done. 
You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, the UCI Conversation Show. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer, and my guest today is UCI Medical Center Patient Flow Director Eamon Othman. Here she talks about the side of her job that never leaves her mind. In terms of your job, what keeps you awake at night? Do you leave it all at the office? You know, is there something that bothers you or you will think about a lot? Um, during the surge, I was not sleeping at all. I was like literally worried, not only about the patients and about the staff, because our people were working hours and hours and hours. So I was worried about the staff during the surge. I can say I'm I'm much in a much better place now. I can sleep at least a good six hours now. But before I was so worried about my staff, my team. And every time we have somebody out related to COVID, we are worried and we are looking around us. Who is next? Mm-hmm. It was a terrifying moment, but nursing is very awesome industry. Those people, they come for a reason and we do it for a reason. Uh, but I think in general, I'm in a much better place now. But if, if something doesn't make me sleep, it's like uh, I am worried that I am unable to provide to my team or I am unable to, to make my team effective as much as possible. I care and I'm advocate for my uh, frontline nurses. So I always ask myself question before I go home in the car, right in the car. Did I forget anything? Did I make a difference today in somebody? Did I provide everything I can provide to my team to, to do their job? And if all these comes, okay, and then I leave. There's many, many times I reach my car and then I turn back and I go back to my office because I think that I need to do one more thing. As patient flow director, who is your team? I've heard you talk a lot about your who is your team? I have a lot in my team. <laughs> so I have my management team, which is the managers. I have house supervisors who are running the hospital 24 hours 7. And this is another awesome team. I have the staffers who are staffing the hospital to make sure that we are within ratio and we have enough staff to provide care. I have also the transfer center who bring patients from the community that need it. I have also the descended affairs, which is taking care of families after death, and they are given the best compassion services we can give to our families. What else? I have, I have the transport lift team, uh, which is they are transporting patients, and they are also um, lifting and changing the positions for the patient during the stay. Uh, I have the most important one, I forgot, the float pool, which is um, a team of uh, 300 nurses who float to a different unit every day, depending where is the need. And this is a virtual team that they need a lot of support. When I took that team, I, this is one of the things I'm so proud of. When I took this team five years ago, their turnover to leave the, te- to leave the unit was more than uh, 25%. We are at 3% today. Wow. So this team doesn't leave and they like where they are and they are very supportive. And uh, that's my team. Well, in terms of reducing the turnover, can you pinpoint what changed? I think the most important two things that any leader needs to understand and need to keep in mind is, first of all, you need to listen and you need to listen carefully to your staff, not only to the verbal and to the nonverbal, meaning you need to be there on the floor with them. You need to, to see what is happening. How can you help them? You need to listen to their feedback and try to act on it and close the loop all the time. So listening actively to your team is very important. And the second part, which is, I believe it to myself, so then I will believe it to others. You need to provide tools. 
do not expect people to work if they are not on the right work environment. So you need to provide a good work environment full of positivity, full of a, a, a support. Sometimes one good word from you to your staff can make them work instead of 12 hours, 16 hours, because you just told them timely that they are awesome. Mm -hmm. So a good relationship and good, you know, feedback and listening to your team, you need to believe that people are the success. If you don't believe in people, like before I take off my patients, I take care of my staff because those are the one who's taking care of the patients. So if my staff is happy, the patients will be happy. So listen to them, give them the feedback, close the loop, stand up with them, say no when it's needed to say no. I think this is the maximum. That's why they came all around me and they, they followed because they thought that I keep my word and I am a, a woman of my word. Do you ever lose your temper at work? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have a tension war. Come on. <laughs> I knew you were going to answer that. Obviously, you can't just haphazardly lose your temper. It has to be for a reason. I mean, as a leader, I learned over the years that losing my temper is not going to help. So I have either uh, leave and go take a deep breath and then come back and approach it differently. And it takes a lot of effort to do that. Or um, I am under the pressure and I am done. I, I lose my temper. So I didn't have the chance to leave. But uh, I have a great team also, a, a team, a, a very devoted team who is going to tell me, Iman, just go to your office. And I'll, okay, I'll go to my office. <laughs> so that's, but in general, yes, um, if it is a lot of pressures and uh, sometimes there is a fine line between being a good leader and um, a leader who need to handle a situation, uh, a momentum situation. So there is like, I, I always tell my team, I'm a 90%, I am a, a team player, but there's a 10% I'm a boss and I need to take a decision and people need to do it oh. because I see it. I know it's going to happen and I need to move. Mm. So when I see a resistance on this 10%, this is where I am like, no, people need to move because we don't have time for back and forth conversation now. Mm. So this is only the momentum when I feel like, and it's, it's not easy for me to get out of my comfort zone and say to people, stop it. We need to move on. Mm -hmm. So it's tough. But with the years, I learned that. Uh, and the people around me start to know that it's not about them. It's about the situation. Mm -hmm. Is it is 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 your job hard? Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Very stressful job. Very challenging. Um a lot of changes, a lot of variables that I need to look and um, to assess and to take decision every day. Um, there's many times uh, during this last year, I was saying, that's it, I don't wanna do it anymore. Uh, because of COVID, a lot of extra stress added, but I never, I mean, I will have this moment of like, that's it, I don't wanna do it anymore. But then uh, the minute I go back and I'm, by myself, uh, I know that I'm doing a difference. And um, mm. and this is my place. This is where I enjoy. So it's just a moment of pressure. And then I go back. It's a tough job. And I know maybe I'm not going to be able to do it for many years. But at least the years I'm doing it, I want to do it the best of me. What do you enjoy most about your job? The challenges. I'm learning everything, something in you. I am, if I am bored, I'll leave. 
I love the challenges. I love to learn something new. I love being around the team and the team around me. I am a very people-oriented person. So if one of my team is not on board, it hurts. So I will do everything to make this person on board and I bring everybody up to the speed. But this challenges and this continuous learning keep me alive. I am a very active person and I like to stay alive with learning. Wonderful. How about in terms of, uh, I think oftentimes people will see senior management like, oh, it was easy for them or whatever. Do, do, do you have an example of adversity in your career that you had to, to grind through or just something that you had to, yeah, this was a downtime, but this was something that I had to stick out and, and overcome to, to succeed? Um, listen, it's, um, how can I say it? Every organization have that gap. An effective organization also, and not effective organization, they all have this gap between the level of administration and a good leader who is going to do his best to mend this gap in between. But there is a moment of your leader is asking you to do something that you are totally not on board and you're going to do it because this is what they are asking you to do, despite that you have the buy-in or not. And it is very difficult to do it. Very difficult, specifically somebody with my personality, to do something I am not totally buy-in to it. I will do it in one reason, that I know from my perspective, many times I took a decision in behalf of my team that sometimes somebody in my team does not understand why I'm doing this, despite all the communication that I can share or I cannot share of from my perspective, and they do it, then maybe I should do the same thing and wait till the time I understand why the organization is doing it. This is number one. And there is some of the time that the organization or my leadership, despite all the communication, they are not on board with you. And there is a moment I took a decision that I know maybe my boss is not totally on board, but I took it and I took the risk. And 100% of the times I took that risk decision, it was right decision. And my boss come back to me and say, thank you for standing up and and taking that decision. For many times, sometimes your boss is not always on the ground like you to see what is happening and what can happen after taking such a decision. So, and I don't have maybe the time to explain every aspect of what's happening around. So taking a, a, a very momentum decision, sometimes despite that your boss or your leadership is aware about it, it happens and I, I will do it. Um, sometimes I, I will do it without even um, thinking twice because I know this is the safest thing to do for my patient and for my staff. So I will do it and I always have the right justification for it. But in general, let me tell you something. One of the things in UCI that I did not find it in any other organization, if they believe in a leader, they give him a green light. They give me a full authority to do all the decision and with the trust and faith that I will take it the right way for the organization. I am at that point when, where I have the green light from my leadership and um, I will do everything I can do not to disappoint them. Mm. Who does your position report to? For a patient flow director, who does that person report to? The CEO or? <laughs> no, it's actually, it is to the CNO, to the chief nursing officer. But sometimes I feel I'm reporting to everyone at this point in the C-suite. So everybody's asking me and I'm reporting to everyone. But I am fine with that. But originally in the organization chart, I am reporting to the CNO. 
Is there a team of people who are responsible for the nurses? I would imagine that you're probably a key, is, you know, is there a leadership team that oversee the nurses and a leadership team for the doctors? I don't know. It seems like you would be involved with both, right? Patient flow. Yeah. I have a physician partner with me. We call him the bed czar. So um, he is uh, with me next office and he is taking care of the physician part and I'll take care of the nursing part for the patient flow. So yes, I do have a partner and also I have a, um, a partner, a leader from uh, other ancillaries uh, that need to be like radiology lab and pharmacy. Uh, she's also with me as a partner. So we all work uh, within one team to make sure that we are aligned and we are going where the organization wants to go. You are listening to UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer. And my special guest today is a woman who was originally born in the Middle East as an adult immigrated to the U.S., and after decades of experience as a registered nurse, she is now the UCI Medical Center Patient Flow Director, Eamon Othman. Now back to the interview. You seem to have an abundance of energy. Where do you get it? <laughs> a lot of people asking me. <laughs> I don't know. I've been like this all my life. Um, I think sleeping is a waste of time, so I don't believe in sleeping. So... Either I need to be productive. Even my husband is telling me, you can't just sit down, do nothing because he enjoys sitting in the backyard and just looking, you know, outside. And I, I can't do that. I need to do something all the time. So I don't know. I mean, I think um, it's just part of my personality. I need to always keep moving and doing something. Is uh, It sounds like you have a personal relationship with your God. It sounds like God's an important aspect of your life. Is, is that true? Yes. Because I believe that um, uh, God gave me a lot and, um, and, and still giving me and I am so grateful and I am um, counting my blessing every day. Um, so being thankful and grateful is part of my uh, daily ritual. Um, God being so generous with me and I will uh, always be thankful. What inspires you? What inspired me? Listen, I am a very competitive person and I feel jealous so fast. So if I see somebody successful around me with any initiative they do in personal life or even at work life, if I see somebody is doing they, something and they are very successful, uh, this will inspire me by jealousy. I want to, to be successful and I want to do the same thing. So Simple things that people can do and they are successful and can inspire me. Simply, like, for example, one of my friends, she's always, um, despite anything, she finds a time to go to the gym. I'm so jealous. I want to do it. It's, she inspires me. I have a boss who moved to um, another hospital uh, a year ago, and he was inspiring me all the time because he always have a different approach for things. I was so jealous from the way he find an approach for every situation. And he will never leave a meeting or leave an initiative without making sure that everybody is on the same page. This kind of things inspire me. I like to learn and I like the people around me to, to show me a new ways. Thinking out of the box is really inspiring. Uh, you know, in your What Matters to Me and Why, it was amazing how thoughtful and well thought out it seemed like you had really looked at your life do you have goals right now for yourself till last year I had a lot of goals in my 
career and in my personal, I think one of my personal goals was last year when I took my doctorate degree and it, it, it was a tough journey. So I'm happy with my doctorate degree as, as self-actualization. At work, I think my goal maybe mostly to settle and to make sure I am, I think I had a lot of responsibilities lately that it, it, it makes me going everywhere and I'm not focused. So my goal is to make sure I am back to where I am before COVID so I can continue with my projects that I believe it's important for this organization. So I think one of the goals is to refocus back after COVID is done. But in general, for my personal life, I want to see my kids successful and educated the way my parents did it to me. So this is one of the things I think is going to mean the world to me is to see my kids successful and hopefully I'm a role model and they are seeing this in me as much as see that I saw my dad doing the same thing. Very good. How about for people who are just starting off in their career? Do you have any pearls of wisdom, any, any encouragements for how to succeed in life? This new generation and millennium is hard to advise because <laughs> we are coming from two different perspectives. Like I'm looking at my son and when I'm telling my son, okay, you need to knock all doors. You, he is in, in this time, he's, he's working and I knock all doors. Uh, learn every day something in you. Uh, show your potential. People will not come and look for you. You need to show your potential. You need to learn and you need to show others that you have this potential to learn and move and grow. People will not do it for you. You need to do it for yourself. Mm-hmm. And the only thing he is, doing is like so how much they're going to give me mm-hmm. and reaching your potential is not always about money so maybe the best advice i can give anybody is looking to grow is work on yourself work on your potential and money is going to follow mm-hmm. i never thought i'm going to get as much as i'm getting now i never thought about my money i actually there's one day i told my boss he is telling me, Iman, it's like, I'm going to be hard for me to give you a raise this year. And I was so upset. And I said, don't ever open this subject with me because raise is going to come. Money is going to come. I know it's going to come. But I know I'm learning something every day and money is going to come one day. And, and here we go. A year later, he gave me more than I deserve as a raise. And I knew money is going to come. So work on yourself. Learn something in you show people that you have a potential and money will come. Well said. How about the new UCI Medical Center facility that's going to be built at the main campus? Are you involved with that at all? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes, I am pretty involved and I'm, I'm involved in the design now, room design, patient flow design, equipment, staffing, policies. Yeah, pretty involved. And I am so excited about it because it's uh, it's a service line it's well needed and in that part of the city and and we are very excited how long will it take until patients are able to be seen and that's a new hospital yeah i will say because of covid we have a lot of delay mm. i would say maybe three years from now is technology you, you know, can, can you just give us a brief assessment of the advancements of technology in the hospital world? I mean, is it just 
moving at the speed of light. Is that a game changer in your area? It, it is. It is. You know, technology is impacting all generations. So there's an old school who will not be able to pick up and there's a middle generation and a new generation. They are into the technology. Uh, UCI in general is a state of art of because we are academic facility, we are bringing everything in you as much as we can. And we have resources maybe other hospital doesn't have. So we are a state of art in technology, but the only fear I always have because of my informatic background and I know how technology is important and how technology is taken a huge part of our skill as nurses. But I always say the same thing and I'm going to keep saying, don't make technology take the human part of your job, specifically as a nurse. I know that your husband has been a major supporter of yours. Um, Can you just... Tell us a little bit about the man. We haven't met him, so <laughs> what's so married- good about him? <laughs> <laughs> We've been married for 26 years. I met him. He's a nurse, too, and I met him in a hospital at work, and we got married fast, and uh, we're still married. We have three boys. Uh, I think the best thing about him, he is a processor, and I'm a fire of wool, so we have this balance. So if I am too much, he is the one who brings me down to earth. And if he is too much down, I'll bring him up. So we have this balance. This is number one. Number two, he is a good listener. I'm a talkative and I like the details of the details. And he is very good listener. And he just listens to everything I say. And he will advise me with with full transparency and honesty. It's like if things is going to work or not going to work. So he's a good, I think the things that survive our marriage, that it's not the love, it's the friendship. I think we are a very good friends together. We support each other in the good and the bad. And um, we went through a lot together. And um, I think our friendship and loyalty makes this marriage move on. He is he's a good man. Iman Osman, thank you so much for this time. We really appreciate you. I know things are very, very busy for you right now. And we just really appreciate you sharing on, on UCI Conversations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again to UCI Medical Center, Patient Flow Manager, Iman Othman. What an interview. Passion, humor, dedication, insightful, reverent, and at the end, a loving dedication to her friendship partner. Along the way, we were given an informal tour of the UCI Medical Center, which I did visit after the interview was completed and was amazed at the size of the facility. I had no idea. Uh, It had the vibe of a cosmopolitan little big city, buzzing with things getting done, people, doctors, and nurses talking and walking all over the place. And at the UCI Medical Center, that thing getting done is healthcare. Here's one more question and answer to what the UCI Medical Center hopes to be focusing on as COVID hopefully continues to subside. Is there anything specific going on at the hospital, any new programs or anything that you'd really want to talk about? First and most, thank God we passed our COVID surge safely and successfully. So now I think the major thing that the hospital leadership is looking at is how to bring the business back and how to make sure we are serving that community the way it needs because people have been postponing a lot of care. Uh, right. Uh, self-care related to COVID and they don't want to be exposed. So I think this is the time that we need to lend hand to the community and say, we are open. uh, We are here to help. Of course, I'm not talking about elective plastic surgery. I'm talking about 
very critical ill people who were postponing their chemotherapy or their radiotherapy or their surgery can give them a better quality of life. So I think that is the major thing I am focusing on at this point. And actually that was the meeting just right before I met you today is about how can we open these transfers and make sure that we are given an access to those people who need the help. Thank you to all the heroes that work there. And as always, thank you to blues piano maestro Fred Kaplan for all his tunes which contribute to my show. I love your music. And now turning the page, coming up next at 5 p.m. is Entrepreneur Nation with Ash Kumra, which looks at solutions to common business problems with active business executives. Stay tuned. It's coming up next. You've been listening to UCI Conversations, where every week we explore another corner of the land of blue and gold with interviews of UCI leaders, innovators, and zot, 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 everyday anteaters. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer, and you can always reach me at my email address, kboss at kuci.org. And you can always have access to my previous interviews or this interview on my podcast website at www.bossenmeyer.com. Thank you for joining us today. Have a pleasant good evening. Don't forget to keep socially distancing and keeping and wearing two masks. Let's bend that curve for good this time. Stay vigilant and get your vaccine as soon as possible. Happy trails. So long, everybody. We'll see you next week.